Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you for joining us on Community Focus this morning, where we look at the issues that matter and the people and organizations that are making a difference. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Dr. Sandra Cumper Boynton is the executive director of NAMI Broward County. That's the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's the largest grassroots mental health organization dedicated to building better lives for the millions of Americans affected by mental illness. Dr. Boynton, that's quite a challenge. Thank you for talking to us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Alan. It's a pleasure. I am fascinated by the work you do. You have over 20 years of experience working in health and human services. And I understand before you came to NAMI as executive director, you spent time both as a forensic mental health specialist and also did crisis intervention training for Broward County, working with law enforcement officers and other first responders. Can you tell us about those two kinds of work? That's something that we don't normally hear about. Oh, absolutely. And I I just have to let you know that those were some of my best years. I started out working in an organization, a planning organization that planned work on public health services. And as a forensic mental health specialist, I was able to work in various sectors in the community. I first started working in our state hospitals for individuals who were involved in the judicial system and living with a mental illness and had to be hospitalized or committed to these hospitals for services and to gain competency. So I would be doing evaluation and an assessment in four of our five hospitals throughout the state of Florida just to ensure that these individuals were assessed, evaluated, and not stay too long in these hospitals because let's face it, they had to come back to Fort Lauderdale to face their charges. So it was just a really difficult time for them to be involved in the system and being involved in some criminal activities. Is that where, you know, they talk about people using the insanity defense and you distinguish whether they actually can tell right from wrong and they're not using it just to get out of serving a prison sentence? That is absolutely correct. These individuals were found to be incompetent to proceed with their trials, and they had to be taught about the prison system. First of all, they needed to be stabilized because of their mental illness, and they got those kinds of services in the the hospitals. And then they had to be taught what the, the court system looked like, you know, who is a judge, what does the attorney do, the whole system so that they could understand to defend themselves. Because usually their charge would would occur during the state of insanity. So working in the hospitals, I also worked in the mental health jails. So I would see individuals who are in the jails, totally uh, insane at that point, and taken to the state hospital, regain competency, regain sanity, and be sent back to the jail. So I was working with them in both areas. Did you ever feel conflicted? You have to have such a a huge amount of empathy for someone who has committed a crime, but also understanding that when there's a mental health illness, they're not 
always really responsible for their actions. Yes, that is so true, of course. And this is the reason for the evaluations and the assessments, and these had to be ongoing, because you wanted to be sure that what you're working with is the real deal. If a person is insane at the time of a charge, then it will be dealt with differently. Mm. But if it's what we consider to be malingering, then again, it has to be dealt with differently by the courts. And then on the flip side, you worked with law enforcement officers and first responders. What was your role in that? Well, as a crisis intervention training manager for Broward County, working with law enforcement, what we really wanted to do was to bring this insight as to how to work with individuals who are in crisis and are confronted by law enforcement. We needed law enforcement officers to understand the signs and the symptoms of mental illness, what they're working with, and to work and to deal with it accordingly. We wanted law enforcement to be able to de-escalate a situation as opposed to just bringing a person into the jails if it's mental health is a concern, and also for them to be able to take them into treatment if it necessitates them going into treatment for services. So. This was a 40-hour training that we asked all our law enforcement officers in Broward County to be a part of, which continues to today, and just giving them an overall training as to how to de-escalate situations when they're faced with people who are living with mental illness. They already have the technical aspect of working as law enforcement officers. That was not where we were trying to make any changes. We were just trying to educate them on what mental health looks like and illness. It sounds like a huge leap in awareness over the course of time where before a criminal was a criminal and you take them in or you you do whatever you have to restrain them and you're working with them is helping to distinguish when, I mean, we've seen stories where people who had mental health problems were injured during an arrest because an officer didn't understand. So what you're doing literally has saved lives of people who are dealing with mental illness. Has the definition of that phrase changed over time? There's always been this idea, okay, someone who's mentally ill, they have schizophrenia or, you know, they're really like, they can't be controlled. And now we're finding that almost everyone has some degree of anxiety or especially with things that are going on today, does that fall under the category of mental illness? It falls under the category of the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which the APA, which is the American Psychiatric Association, worked on. They have worked on this manual. They have produced this over 500 diagnoses where mental illness is concerned. And those conditions do fall in that diagnostic. So, What we do know is that there is a distinction between severe mental illness and mental illness. It's it's mood disorder, it's behavior, it's emotional. So in teaching law enforcement officers to work with people who are in crisis, we're looking at people who are probably psychotic. They have a total separation of reality. So their response can be more detrimental to themselves and to the officers. So in order to keep everybody safe, We want them to recognize what this looks like. And that's very different from what we're hearing that many people in the country have been experiencing for the last several years between the pandemic and now there's a war that we're watching and, you know, feeling concerned, uh, depressed, anxious. 
shall we sort of separate these all sorts of depression? And we're all feeling this depression. It comes from everything that's happening. It's more situational in some cases. It's happening. You're going to be experiencing these symptoms because of what's going on today. But once it's kind of all over, we can probably go back to our normal, regular life and sort of put this behind us. Now, that's situational. And it's because of a condition. So it's not necessarily treated in the same way as we treat something like schizophrenia or major depressive disorder, which is a more severe mental illness that probably needs medication and talk therapy and uh, holistic care. It is treated as it is, as a situation, and may be resolved by some treatment, but not necessarily the whole gamut of what we need to deal with with a severe persistent mental illness. Now, what drew you to the mental health field? I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> my, you know, um, growing up with a mother who was a social worker, I was exposed to working in the human services field and social services. And my mom was she would spend hours working, just hours working. And she also worked with a lot of individuals who were homeless and who were living with mental illness. And I pretty much grew up around mental health. And uh, there were family members in my own family. We had individuals who were living with mental illness. And um, we sometimes realize that people are very, it's very challenging for an individual to acknowledge that something is wrong with our brains. Right. As easy as it is to say, okay, I have a heart attack or I'm diabetic or I have a broken arm. It is not as easy for individuals to acknowledge that they have something wrong with their brain. So this kind of drew me to that area. Originally, I wanted to do law. Oh, wow. But then I kept, <laughs> I kept being drawn into working with people. I kept being drawn into volunteering in shelters and working with people with substance abuse issues or substance use issues mm-hmm. and mental illness. And so eventually I went back to school, graduated with a mental health counselor degree and further my studies into behavioral health and received a doctorate degree in behavioral wow. health. So it's been years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now you're the executive director of NAMI Broward. What do you feel that you've been able to accomplish? What are you proud of, of what you've done at NAMI to help people? So NAMI operates on the three pillars, education, support, and advocacy. And our main focus is on the people we serve. And what we realize is that in order to help individuals, we have to educate them. I am, I am so proud of the educational aspect of what we do at NAMI. We provide education for family members, the people who are themselves living with mental illness. We provide education to caregivers and professionals in the behavioral health field because we want people to, first of all, recognize that mental illness is a condition that can affect any and any person and also that it can be treated. We may not have a cure for many of our diagnoses, but many of these diagnoses can be treated and people can live in recovery. And I have seen that so much since being here at NAMI, that people who are educated, they're provided with a support, we're provided some advocacy, making sure that we get the mental health services that we need in this community for them. And that's also ongoing and we will continue to fight for those services. But from what we have done here at NAMI, we can see individuals who have been through many of our programs 
who have themselves come back to work for NAMI. Oh, wow. To, to, <laughs> to give back to the community, to become advocates themselves, become facilitators and trainers. And these are people who are living with mental illness who thought maybe their life was over because of this condition. So that in itself just makes me so very proud and honored to be a part of this organization. That's wonderful. I guess some of it is teaching coping skills so that people can go about their daily life, even with the issues they're dealing with. That is correct. We teach individuals about their illnesses, you know, just recognizing the signs or the symptoms associated with your particular illness. We also teach individuals that, listen, there are services in the community that you can have access to. So we work collaboratively with the community, the mental health community, and we ensure that families learn an understanding of their loved one's conditions and also how to relate to them in ways that will not turn them away, but pull them closer. We also provide a lot of support services, groups where individuals can sit together and talk about their illnesses, understand what triggers them, understand what to do when they're being triggered and who to turn to. And families need to know the same and how to communicate. How to communicate instead of saying you, 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 you can say we. Instead of saying you did this, you can say I don't understand. Help me to understand. Because pointing that you finger is just such a negative for any person, and especially when you're not thinking correctly. If I may, I'd like to give you a challenge for the future. I understand completely about this conversation between people and how to change the language. Can you start working on social media and how we can communicate better (laughs) instead of arguing with each other all the time? It's just crazy. You know, I have to shut it down periodically and walk away from it because it gets inside you. Do you have plans for that? Is that something that's been discussed? Well, you've just given me an an assignment, which I will take on happily. But I so agree with you because, Ellen, you know, for the population I work with, it's very detrimental to them. The negative that comes across media sometimes is not helpful. And so to change the language, we've worked with United Way to present a language matter uh, card that people can recognize how to speak to individuals or the language that will not be affecting individuals who themselves are living with mental illness. But you are correct. We need to change it globally, the way we speak about mental health and mental illness. So I will gladly take that challenge and start working on this. (laughs) I can't wait to talk to you again six months down the road as this progresses. I feel that you're going to do it. You know, you are obviously someone who sets yourself a mission and you follow through. Was there someone in your life other than your mother who set an example, who kind of took you under their wing and helped to mentor you through your career? Oh, yeah. I have had some great mentors. I can recall my first job as a mental health counselor. I worked with a woman, Sally Wolfer. What was unique about Sally is that she was a nun in another life. (laughs) And she came to mental health, the field of mental health, with that kind of compassion and empathy and caring that I've only seen with my mom and a few other people because she saw people as people and she worked with them accordingly. There was just no regular plan where Sally's concerned. It was an individualized plan for an individual who is diagnosed with a mental illness. And 
She counseled me on that. She taught me the way to acknowledge individuals as individuals, see them for who they are, not their status, not their creed, not their color, but individuals and meet them where they are. And I also, one of my contracts was with the Department of Children and Families. And I met a woman, I think she was a regional director at the time. Her name is Valerie Allen. And she worked with, she was instrumental in recognizing that pairs were able to work and to give back to this community. She was able to pull these peer groups together and have them work with other members in the community who are living with mental illness. And this is something that I do today at NAMI. We do have this mentor-to-mentor program that really came from what I learned from Valerie because peers are people. They have thoughts. They have abilities. They can do whatever they need to do. They can live to their full potential. But they have a mental illness. And if it's treated and they're in recovery, they can resort to being the person that they're meant to be. And this is something I learned from Valerie. And this is something we push here at NAMI today. And a lot of our peers, as I said before, are giving back. That's a beautiful thing. You know, I was going to ask you, what's rewarding about your work? But everything you've already said, you can hear it in your voice, in the gratitude that you get from seeing people recover and take their lives back. Is there anything else that you would want to add to that? You know, I just want to say, I remember words that my mom would say. She would tell us, she said, you know, if you want to become a millionaire, this is not the field for you. But if you want to experience self-gratification and just be happy about doing what you do, the mental health, human services is where you need to be. And this is where I am and have been here for the past 26 years. And, um, you know, I can only say to the newer generation coming in that this is a fear that you have to be involved in. Put your emphasis in understanding people and giving back. It can be difficult, but it's also extremely rewarding. You must be a wonderful friend to have because you're Ah. so understanding. You know, you talk about toxic relationships, and I just, I I can't imagine that you would be involved in them or be like that to someone with your experience and your compassion and everything you've just said about giving to people and helping people. And if I can just ask you for one more piece of advice before we finish, can you give all of our listeners who are experiencing this kind of underlying tension and anxiety, a coping mechanism so they can walk away and have been impacted by you over the radio or in a podcast without being face-to-face? You know, what I want to say is, I live by the mantra, this too shall fade. Whatever we're experiencing, it will go away at some point. I want us to be patient. I want us to see the good of whatever is happening. Make every situation an opportunity to move forward because we can and we will and nothing is stagnant nothing stays with us forever but we have to give ourselves the opportunity to think outside of what's going on around us especially negative things that's going on and to see the light to see that light at the end of the tunnel because it is there and it's waiting for us so keep your eyes on that light that ray of light it will get better we will do different and something else will come along, but we have to keep moving. That's what we need to do. You have inspired me. I thank you for that. 
And I know that you have inspired so many people throughout your career and continue to do so. Dr. Sandra Cumberboynton, Executive Director of NAMI Broward, just we're so grateful for what you do in our community. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and this May finds more of us focused on mental health than usual due to the COVID-19 pandemic and the struggles and the fears and the anxieties that come with everything coronavirus. I think for people who are generally pretty well balanced, the coronavirus has been unsettling at the minimum. For people who are already dealing with difficulties in their life, it can be devastating. So to talk to us about mental health and coping through this time, I am so happy to welcome Whitney Hewson, the marketing director at The Village South, part of WestCare. This is a nationwide group of nonprofit mental health organizations. Whitney, welcome and thank you for finding time to talk to us. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me on your show. I really, really appreciate it. Can you start with just a brief overview of the services that Village South provides? Because there's a lot of them. Absolutely. You know, the Village South has been around for almost 45 years. And so we've been providing addiction treatment services and mental health programs to this population in Miami-Dade and Broward for a long time now. So we're really pleased to be able to talk a little bit about that. But really, I like to say we basically serve anybody you can think of. So adolescents, 12 to 17, the LGBTQ plus community. And then, of course, we also have our women and children program in Pembroke Pines, which is for women that are pregnant and mothers with children where they can live there with their their moms can live with their children at the center and still get the services they need. The population of people that are suffering with addiction has not reduced. If anything, oh, it's increased yeah. just because of all the reasons that you said. I right. mean, the stress of it all, it really gets to like, just like you said, an average person. So you can only imagine somebody who's struggling with their mental health, you know, suicidal ideations. It's really difficult to reach out and knowing who to reach out to. So if someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best number to call? The best number to call is actually our admissions line because our admissions director can advise you on which program you're eligible for. But I'm going to give you that number right now. It's actually a cell phone. So he's answering it. And that number is 786-306-1827. What's his name? His name is Israel. Okay. It's just nice to know who you're talking to when you make a call, especially when it's something, you know, that's so personal. Absolutely. Yep. Israel's a great guy. He is so knowledgeable about all of our services. And again, we've served clients virtually since this all started. And I'm really excited for that because, again, people need help right now. Right. So it means that they are actually turning to you for that help. What are some of the issues there saying that they're dealing with? I mean, some of it is very practical, right? So a lot of them, it's employment. You know, they've either been um, let go. I mean, there is a myriad of reasons why they're struggling financially, which really plays a big role into how they handle things because now they're not only worried about COVID, but now they're also worried about rent. They're worried about food. Food's a big one because although there are a lot of places that are giving out food, you have to be in a vehicle. Many of our clients do not have vehicles, so they're not able to get the food. The same thing with uh, WIC. So WIC, yes, there are ways to get a hold of WIC, and there are places that are giving WIC items. However, our clients for 
different reasons oftentimes are not able to get to the locations that are offering these items. So it's just been a lot of difficulties that, you know, who would have known, who would have foreseen these things. But also, like I said, the suicide, the depression, the anxiety, they're all very, very high right now. So we're seeing people really struggle and also overdoses have gone back up. So does someone have to become a client or can they just call and talk? That's a good question. You know, I'm sure that we're not going to turn anybody away, right? So if somebody's like, I just need to talk, I'm quite certain that we can help them. And if not, we definitely have other resources. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, I'm so sorry, you're struggling. Um, We can't help you. Definitely not. We will find something for you, whatever that might be. Also, I know that there's a lot of resources out there right now for people that just want to chat, that need somebody to talk to. I oftentimes turn to 211 whenever I need some of those resources. But um, primarily, our clients are struggling with addiction or using, for the exception of the adolescents. So they might not be full-blown addicts, right? So they might just be struggling with using drugs or drinking alcohol, and their parents are, you know, needing some help. So that's also another, you know, way that people can get help. Is there a fee for services? You know, it's actually pretty much everything is funded either through the government or grants. And if there is a fee, it's always sliding scale. And so we work with everybody, though. That would not be a concern I would think you need to worry about. So can anybody join the virtual sessions? Are they open to the public or they call you and then you tell them which program they need to be part of and then they would join those virtual sessions? Yes. So the way the virtual sessions go, it just depends on what program you're in. So, for example, our heart program is for men 18 to 35 in Miami-Dater Broward. And that also has a very special group within it for the LGBTQ community. So it's a really cool program. But if you called and you spoke to Israel, he would then transfer you over to the heart coordinator. So that way you could get assessed and then they would place you into either a group session or individual sessions, whatever you needed. But it's on a secure platform so you don't have to worry about somebody popping in, like they've been on the Zoom meetings, you know, they hear about the Zoom bombers, you know, there's nothing like that. It's a completely secure platform. So it's 100% confidential and safe for people to do their sessions virtually. So they don't have to worry about that. Okay. Facebook page at Village South. Correct. And let's give Israel's admission cell phone number one more time. Absolutely. His number is 786-306-1827. Thank you so much. Your range of services is huge and they're needed all the time. But right now, what people need to hear is that they have somewhere to go if they are struggling to deal with all of the uncertainties. So the Village South is there for you, part of westcare.com. And Whitney Hewson, Marketing Director, I thank you so much for your time. Oh my gosh, thank you, Ellen. It has been a pleasure and I'm really hopeful that we can help some people through this. I know you can. Thank you so much. Before we close out Community Focus today, I want to let you know about the Miami Beach Police Block Party that is going on today. This is the second annual event, and it's a chance for you to get to know hashtag your MBPD. So what they're doing is throwing this big free family event at Flamingo Park. It starts at 10 o'clock this morning, runs till three o'clock this afternoon, Flamingo Park at Michigan Avenue between 12th and 13th Streets. Hoping the rain will not interfere too badly. Uh, Maybe we can catch those periods where, you know, it's in between the showers. But they've got a whole day of fun planned, and it's all free. So you can enjoy food and music, guest appearances, a kid's zone. There's going to be storytelling for those who want to get physical, yoga, Zumba, 
And I love this. The Miami Beach Police Department K-9 team will be out there. The SWAT and Marine Patrol units. So I call it the get-to-know officer-friendly. They really do still exist. Miami Beach Police, some of the best. So make your plans. Once again, it's Flamingo Park, Michigan Avenue, between 12th and 13th Streets. We do have the information on our events listing. Just check out our website and have a great time. Thank you again for listening to Community Focus. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic, you can email me at ellen.jaffe, J-A-2-F-1-E, at cmg.com. Join us again next Sunday for an all-new edition of Community Focus. You have a great day. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.